0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show nationwide from Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877 973 I want to begin this hour with a phone call. Waiting very patiently is Jennifer. Welcome to the program, Jennifer, if I can fire up your phone call here. And for some reason, there we go. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Sorry to make you wait so long.
1: It's okay. I've, I've been a long-time listener and a first-time caller, so I'm a little bit nervous.
0: Don't be nervous. nervous. I don't bite hard.
1: <laughs> so I was going to address the, um, the issue with environmentalism. Uh, I'm not very old at all, <laughs> but I do remember a time when environmentalism was less, uh, more or less, I mean, it, was, it wasn't necessarily a movement as it is now. Mm-hmm. It seems as if it became a harder movement, uh, in recent years. Um, and I remember a time they used to call it, uh, global warming. Right. And because we're not seeing global warming right. happening per se, I mean, I've been seeing blizzards being reported in parts of the globe that I would never have imagined. And so it's just, it doesn't fit in their narrative. It's like they have to call it climate change now. Um, and, I remember it was before, it seemed like it was more of a, like, um, how could I say, kind of like a collective concern about recycling. It was very basic, and now it's like a, a full-blown attack on the economy. Because you got, like, Agenda 2030 coming, and you got all these car manufacturers saying that they're going to, uh, you know, ban the sale of... Uh, fuel powered vehicles and it's really going to put you know everybody in debt to a degree that we would never
0: imagine so you know there are a lot of complex things going on and 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 first of all again thanks for being as patient as you are i'm glad you called in because i wanted to talk about this topic so i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go there because of some of the background noise on the phone and hope you listen here you've got a lot of this uh people on the left are very dogmatic in denying it but it's been i think comprehensively documented enough to understand what's going on here. In the 1980s, in the 70s and 80s, the Soviet Union funded a anti-nuclear peace movement around the world. The, as the United States was building nuclear weapons in the arms race with the Soviet Union, the Soviets attempted to cede ground to uh, anti-nuke movements and peace movements around the world that would attempt to build pressure campaigns in the West against nuclear weapons because they were having a hard time competing with Ronald Reagan's arms race. And particularly when Ronald Reagan embraced the idea of Star Wars, a space defense system to shoot down missiles, well, they had to do something. That morphed over time into a segment of the environmental movement where a lot of the people who were the anti-nuke peaceniks became uh, anti-nuclear power uh, greens And those green movements around the world, many of them funded by the Soviet Union, were political operations designed to shut down Western-style capitalism and undermine the free markets around the world through advocating uh, environmentalist causes and sustainability and, and going after the energy plans of the West. When the Soviet movement collapsed, A lot of those uh, environmental and peace movements, they continued on. And a lot of these communists in the West became environmentalists. They're watermelons. Green on the outside, red on the inside. And for years, they have long believed internally, not because they were paid. They were paid because they were true believers that Western-style capitalism and the free market is bad. In the 1970s, they embraced the idea of a global cooling. They gave uh, embraced the idea of, of Malthus, the Malthusian idea that uh, the world was going to starve to death because there would be so many people and we needed population controls on the planet in the West to contain Western growth. Never happened. They lacked faith in the free market. Well, global cooling became global warming. I remember Time Magazine started writing about this in the late 80s, global warming. The world was going to grow, uh, grow warmer and warmer, the, the greenhouse gas effects. And it was really embraced in the 90s within the environmentalist movement and the Democrats. And a lot of those, those anti-free market, anti-Western, pro-socialist, Soviet People, they moved into the Democratic Party and academia and, the, and think tanks of the left with their ideas. And they had a problem. Every time there was a big global warming conference, every time Al Gore stood up on stage to talk about his PowerPoint presentation that was turned into a popular movie on the left, they love this documentary. What was it called? Now I can't remember the name of it now, but Al Gore, when he left the White House as vice president uh, toured the nation with his fear-mongering about global warming and the need for environmentalism, had a PowerPoint presentation that he turned into the, this epic presentation. People, my gosh, on the left, they ate it up, absolutely ate it up, earth in the lurch or whatever it is, um, and it, it just absolutely, you now inconvenient truth, that's what it was, inconvenient truth. Well, the problem was every time Al Gore would go around selling this and the environmentalists would get together, there'd be a blizzard. There'd be a big snowstorm. And it's really hard to tell people the world is is heating up when your event is canceled because of a snowstorm. So it's all about the marketing. It's all about the marketing. And they had to market it differently. So the way they decided to to market it differently was to call it climate change. And it's all about the marketing because, you see, the the underlying idea within the inconvenient truth and the idea of global warming is that as the world warms, there will be crazy climate phenomena that happen. Some places the world will have blizzards at random parts of the year. All the weather, weather models suggest as much. And so they had to change it to climate change. Now, here's what I find notable and interesting and funny about all of this. Remember, back in the 1970s, it was global cooling, and then it became global warming, and then it became climate change. The words and phrases have changed. You know what hasn't changed? The public policy. The same arguments they were using about global cooling in the 70s, they're using about climate change now. The government needs more control. There needs to be more command and control. There needs to be more government oversight. There needs to be a crackdown on population. There needs to be a crackdown on supply. There needs to be a crackdown on consumerism. It's just interesting to me that The solutions are always the same. It's very much like the Democrats with Build Back Better. They claim that Build Back Better will actually fight inflation. They claim Build Back Better will fight sexism and misogyny. They claim Build Back Better will fight climate change. They claim Build Back Better will everything the Democrats want. They claim Build Back Better will do. It's it's one of the things they always do. Their solutions are always the solutions you need. But what do they actually want to do? for climate change. They want to control you. They actually want to tax the poor. You see the dirty little secret that the left embraces in their aristocracy is that the rich people can afford to do this stuff and the poor people, well, they're the big polluters anyway. The poor are the mouth breathers. So drive up taxes on them and they will breed less. They will get population control through costs. You force the poor families' costs to go up so much maybe they'll stop having kids maybe they'll go get abortions that the government will pay for and they will control you by controlling costs. you know so here's the irony here on the right for the last couple of years there's been this obsessiveness and and the, this just epistemic belief, that uh, the government's positions on COVID are all about controlling you, and they never really have been. They've been because the government got a lot of stuff wrong and they lack the humility to admit it. They, They have been because the government promised you the vaccines would get rid of COVID. Lockdowns would get rid of COVID. They would get rid of COVID. They've never been able to get rid of COVID. COVID's beating them and they can't admit they were wrong. They don't want to admit they were wrong. And so we're still forced to deal with things that we shouldn't have to deal with because they can't admit we're never getting rid of COVID. It was never about control. It's about their lack of humility and admitting they got it wrong. They screwed up. It's the environmentalism that's about the control because they need to control you and your behavior and your consumerism in order, in their belief, to save the planet. And you've kind of called them out on their BS over time. You're calling BS on them because it was global warming, but now there's a blizzard. There's an ice storm moving through the southeast. My sister is sending me pictures. The power has gone out. She has her cell phone still. There's ice everywhere. Trees are splitting in half. Of course, it's February. February is in the season known as winter when the climate changes to cold. The climate always changes. See, it's it's, non, it's non-falsifiable because the climate always changes so they can call it climate change. Now they say we're going to have more extreme weather events. I will tell you, I have embraced the idea that the climate is changing in ways that hasn't changed before in large part because of our influence on the planet. And all you have to understand is there are 7 billion of us If we live in a symbiotic, coherent ecosystem that is global, we, of course, affect the planet in some way. The solution, however, is not for us to give up our existence, hold our breath and die, or change our way of life. It's to adapt because we are, we've always been told, highly adaptable. But see, they don't like that solution, and that's the big tip-off here on the problem. The solution should be that we adapt. Why? Because we shouldn't have to give up our lifestyle. In fact, the United States has fewer emissions now than we did 20 years ago. China has more. They don't want to take on China. Why? Communists. They can't control them anyway. They want you to give up your way of life because that's what it's always been about. At the heart of the environmentalist, aggressive environmentalist movement has always been a hatred for Western free markets and capitalism and Western values. The Soviets became the environmentalists and they still hate the West. If they loved the West, if they loved the free market, they would want us to adapt. They would want to innovate. They would want to prioritize innovation instead of the status quo. But they don't want to do that. They just want to force you to give up. They want you to force you to give up your light bulbs. They want to force you to give up your car. They want to force you to give up your beef. They want to force you to give up your pork. They want to force you to give up everything you love and put you in a pandemic-ridden city out of rural areas so you're not burning gas. And if you're out there, you got to buy an electric tractor because it's all about making you give up your way of life. And they've invented an emergency. We've got 10 years left. And if we don't do this all within the next 10 years, we're all going to die. The planet will live on after us and we're going to die. It's all a bunch of hooey. In 10 years, we will still be here unless the Lord himself comes back. They've emotionally, fundamentally invested in this now, this idea that we've got 10 years left, nine years now probably. So they've got to impose radical change on us. And this is why I think the left is about to get really violent in this country, because they've sold us a bill of goods that nobody likes. And they've told us we've got less than 10 years. And a lot of them believe it. The leaders have convinced them to believe it. And here comes the GOP about to sweep back into Washington and take back over Congress. And they're not going to do what the left wants. So the only way the left is going to be able to do it is through violence, to impose their will on us, to blow up pipelines, to try to get people to stop burning oil and using gas, fossil fuels. They're going to get violent because a lot of them believe it, even though the leaders know it's all a bunch of selling points to drive fear in people. Well, guess what? The crazies believed it. They had to go with climate change because we could sniff out the BS of global warming per se. In climate change, there's some merit to it. There's some validity to the idea that we are causing the climate to change because there are so many of us on the system, on this planet. But we could adapt and thrive, and they don't want that because at the heart of the idea, at the heart of the movement, is a hatred of Western capitalism the Democratic Party has embraced this nonsense and told people if we don't change in less than 10 years, we're all going to die. Well, there's only one way to stop it. If the Republicans take back Congress, it'll make January 6th look like a day at the park. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, they're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. We actually have Bowling Brand Sheets, and yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad, but yes... I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like, and I love Bull and Branch. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads, and she wanted to try the sheets, and now they are the sheets in our house. Bull and Branch does not qu- cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften, and they only use 100% sustainable raw materials, they're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your bowl and branch sheets as they feel against your skin. They are so soft, they don't get too hot, they don't get too cold. They're just great, and every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BowlinBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's Branch, -Branch B-O-L-L-A-N-D-Branch.com, promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Let's go to Steve. You're going to be up next. Welcome, Hello? Steve. You there?
2: Hey there. Yeah, I had a question about the HR one, the voting, basically federal takeover of the voting rules. Right. Uh, number. Yeah. Uh, well, I know it didn't get through basically the only reason it didn't get through was because of the filibuster and uh mansion not wanting to do away with it. am I correct there
0: uh yeah he and cinema refused to get rid of the the filibuster
2: but not because they didn't want to pass it. they were both wanting to actually pass the uh, voting rights, but they didn't want to get rid of the filibuster to do it is, correct is that correct Yes okay. Now, do you think the Democrats will try to push that through again, or I mean because I know the twenty two they're probably going to lose the Senate and the house i don't right. I'm not sure if they'll try to push that through again uh,
0: so I, I well, they can't uh, because Manchin and cinema sided with the Republicans and essentially set precedent in the Senate uh, that you can't waive the filibuster for voting rights, so the only way they can do it is to get one of them to abandon. Uh, they're the view they've already gone on record for. And, well, they'd have to get both of them to do yeah. it. And they they can't yeah. get them to do that. So they could bring it up all they want. It's not going to get passed. And now, you know, they've got a problem. Right. Uh, the New Mexican senator, uh, I, I, Luan, is out with a stroke for the next six weeks. And so now there are actually oh, more wow. Republicans in the Senate. Then there are Democrats. Now, there's a controlling resolution that was passed in January that designates uh, Chuck Schumer as the man who controls what gets to the floor of the Senate. So Mitch McConnell is not suddenly the majority leader. But if Chuck Schumer brought anything to the floor right now, there are 50 Republicans and 49 Democrats. And so it would get killed. He can't bring anything to the floor right now or it would immediately uh, the Republicans would bring it up for a vote and then vote to kill it. So he can't do that at all for the next six weeks. While well, that senator is out recovering, wow. uh, there's there's just no way for the Democrats to get anything done for the rest of the year. In fact, they've approached Joe Manchin about Build Back Better. They want to compromise, and his response was, uh, one, Build Back Better is dead, and two, I'm happy to do more on infrastructure, but it's got to be less than $1.75 trillion dollars. In other words, the Democrats, they can't really do anything. Uh, Manchin and cinema held them hostage. Here's the bottom line. Chuck Schumer made a fatal flaw. He decided to govern the United States Senate as if the Democrats had 55 seats instead of 50. He decided to rule the Senate as if they had a mandate for a major change in the country, which they don't. The problem is... With all of this, frankly, is that he had to do it that way. If he did not do it that way, there would be a revolt among the progressives. The Democratic Party is held together with thread, and it is about to, the threads are about to rip, and they're going to go to war. When the Republicans, take back the House and the Senate. You're going to see open warfare on the left and a lot of blame. Remember in Florida now, Democrats, a majority of Democrats say they would prefer Hillary Clinton to Joe Biden in 2024. That's a real problem for them. Hello there. Uh, So Glenn Youngkin, governor of Virginia, has been doing an event in Alexandria, Virginia. He wants the state legislature to uh, get rid of there's a grocery tax in Virginia. It is a specific grocery store tax in Virginia, apparently, from what I'm told. He did a roundtable discussion at a Safeway grocery store, chain of grocery store, and uh, about this, and on the way out, a Karen in the grocery store says, Governor, where's your mask? You're in Alexandria. Read the room. The governor was not wearing a mask. Um, and... So he left smirking and he's not going to put on a mask. It is amazing how the left in this country is just uh, masks are now a, a sign of their virtue. Fascinating. Okay. To the phones we go. Tom has a question. Welcome to the program, Tom. How are you?
2: Hey,
0: good, Eric. How are you today?
2: I'm great. What's going on? Hey, i got a I got a question for you on constitutional law. Is this possible for the Senate to pass a bill that requires a 60-vote majority in order to change the filibuster rules, so we don't have to keep going through this every time the Senate changes power.
0: Oh, this okay? Uh, yes and no. This is this is kind of complicated. So, Tom, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a courtesy for you. I'm gonna leave you on the phone. So, as I'm talking, if you have questions, uh, you can ask because okay. this is a little bit complicated. So the, the Constitution, the reason the filibuster is constitutional is because the Constitution says the House and the Senate get to make their own rules. So the filibuster is in the rules of the Senate, and it's not written as you got to have 60 votes to get anything passed. That would be unconstitutional because the institutions have to embrace democratic norms. What it is, however, is you got to have 60 votes to cut off debate. That's what the filibuster is. You've got to have 60 votes in the Senate yeah. to stop debate. Um, the, what the Democrats want is a rule that you once everyone in the Senate has spoken twice, debate is over. That's different from you got to have 60 votes to stop debate. So the, to change the rules of the Senate, you have to, uh, have a two thirds vote. So, to change the rules of the Senate, there's got to be a two thirds vote. The reason there has to be a two thirds vote is because the Senate is presumed to be a perpetuated institution. Now, let me get into the weeds here a little bit. Every two years, the House of Representatives stands for election, and every single member of the House of Representatives is up for election. So, when they meet for the new Congress, they've all been re elected, uh, it's considered a new House. And so they have to vote on a rules package by majority vote. If in the middle of Congress, they want to change the rules of the House under parliamentary procedure that goes back before this country even existed, you had to have a two-thirds vote to change the existing rules. In the Senate, because it's considered a perpetuated institution, only a third of its members are ever up for re-election. So the Senate is considered to be an ongoing body. Therefore, to change the rules, it takes a two-thirds vote, not a majority vote. So now the question then becomes, how were the Democrats planning on scrapping the rule? Well, under the existing rules of the Senate, a majority of the Senate can rule that the parliamentarian or the parliamentary order of the chair was wrong. So what you do is the parlo- is the chair says debate cannot be closed. We don't have 60 votes. And the majority of the Senate says, actually, you read the rule wrong. It doesn't require 60 votes. And if they do that, then suddenly by breaking the rules, they win. So that's how they want to get rid of the filibuster is to ignore the rules of the Senate, overrule the chair, and impose it. The reason they can do that is because the filibuster rule is written somewhat nebulously. If I were the Republicans, when I got back the Senate, I would clarify it that absolutely to cut off debate, you must have 60 votes. That way, if this ever went to the Supreme Court, the Democrats would say, well, the Constitution allows us to write our own rules and the Supreme Court would say, yes, but you have to follow the rules you wrote. And right now, there's enough vagary in the way the filibuster is written that the Democrats could get away with this. Does that make any sense to you at all? Have I complicated it?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're complicated, but it makes sense. But, but just a follow-up question. Would the Republicans really want to do that, or would they take advantage of the ability to change the filibuster at any time like the Democrats are?
0: Uh, so the, that's the Democrats' argument right now is that we've got to get rid of the filibuster because when the Republicans come back, they will get rid of the filibuster. The problem with that is oh, that the Republicans okay. had Donald Trump in power and controlled the House and Senate for two full years and never scrapped the filibuster. Even as Donald Trump was telling them you must get rid of it, they refused. So I don't think the Republicans really will get rid of the filibuster. They understand what it's like to be in the minority. They were in the minority for so long. I don't think they will. Yeah. I, now, here's what I wish, Tom. What I wish Mitch McConnell would do the moment the Republicans take back the Senate is make a motion to get rid of the filibuster immediately. Not because you really want it to get done, but because you want all these Democrats who just demanded to get rid of it uh, to be on the record as actually we don't want really to get rid of it now either. Just force them on the record. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, Thank really you would. very much, Eric. Yeah. Love your show. Thank you so much. Um, so, you know, I mean, and I don't mean to make it complicated, but you've got to understand the nuances here. Uh, let me see if if I can pull up the um, text of the filibuster rule and actually see uh, what the the actual wording of it says. Uh, it's the Senate cloture rule is what it's called. It's not actually called the filibuster. It's the cloture rule. And the closure rule says um, that uh, in limiting debate, well, it's a bunch of gobbledygook, but basically, uh, whenever upon a roll call it is ascertained that a quorum is not met, a majority of senators present may direct to the sergeant at arms to request the same, uh, yada, 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 yada. Uh, You cannot close down debate uh, without 60 members of the Senate agreeing to close debate. Um, And that is, that's the problem. And what they essentially wanted to do was to get the Senate to ignore the rule and impose their will. And that, my friends, would cause chaos. Now, you need to understand, what happens? What happens if they were to blow it up? Well, the problem is that the Senate would grind to a halt. Uh, the Senate would grind to a halt because there are other delaying rules in the Senate. And the delaying rules in the Senate, for example, allow the minority to shut down committees after 10 a.m., The allow uh, filling of, of debate with a bunch of amendments. They could drag out debates a pretty long time, and they could make things pretty, pretty miserable for the Democrats. And so it would it would slow the pace of the Senate down and grind it to a halt. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I think they should be using those rules anyway right now, but but they've always held fire on that sort of stuff. Um, so the, the specific rule, just so you understand, I, I found the text. After no more than 30 hours of consideration of a measure, motion, or other matter of which cloture has been invoked, the Senate shall proceed without any further debate on the question to vote on the final disposition thereof to the exclusion of everything, not pending before the Senate at the time, accept a motion to table or reconsider and one quorum call or demand to establish. The 30 hours may be increased by the adoption of a motion by a three-fifths affirmative vote of the senators. This is all a fancy way of saying that you got to have 60 votes to shut down debate. But here's the other catch. you cannot preemptively shut down debate. you've got to have 30 hours of debate in the Senate. on every every item, that comes up in the Senate, you are required to have 30 hours of debate. The only exception is by unanimous consent. You can abruptly end conversation by unanimous consent. And what the Republicans often do, and the Democrats as well often do, is they end unanimous consent, or they give unanimous consent, they shut down debate immediately, and they proceed the Republicans would stop giving unanimous consent to anything in the Senate, and it would drive everyone crazy, but it would grind the Senate to a halt, and that's why the Republicans would do it. You know, it's it, there's a level of lawlessness the media, and this is one reason Republicans are so mad at the media here is because there is, frankly, a level of lawlessness in what the Democrats want to do to get rid of the filibuster. And the media is in on the game. The media supports the Democrats getting rid of the filibuster to pass these things. And that's, that's a real problem, I think. that That's a real problem overall, in large part because uh, you've got to respect the rules for us to have a functioning republic. And what the Democrats say is that the Republicans, they're trying to undermine democracy. The Republicans are trying to undermine people's ability to va- vote. So what is the democratic solution? To undermine the Republican institutions. And we are ultimately a republic, not a democracy. Now, that's somewhat word-quibbling, and it is my pet peeve. I get people who yell at me all the time when I talk about our democracy. Uh, The history here, very quickly, is that we embrace the ideals of the Roman Republic. Well, a republic is the Roman version of the Greek democracy. It's just a language issue. The Greeks and Romans implemented republics and democracies in different ways. In Greece... The, typically all the people would get together and cast votes. In Rome, it was representatives, so you would designate representatives, and they would vote democratically on behalf of you. So they operated somewhat differently, and we went with the Roman system, but you got to remember there was a big language barrier uh, in, in the Roman Empire between the Greek half and the Roman half. It's actually one of the reasons uh, there were all sorts of problems in the early Christian church over time. Uh, when Constantine shifted the imperial capital to Constantinople, it caused all sorts of problems in the languages of the church because the Western church valued Latin and the Eastern church valued Greek, and they had to find words for which both sides had something in common. So one reason, by the way, just did random history, and someone sent me hate mail for talking about this in such a way. He offered no grace for my imprecision, but nonetheless, I'm going to do this again. Do you know why in Christendom we talk about the three persons of the Trinity? Any idea? So the word person comes from the Greek and Latin word for the actor on a stage. If you know anything about history, the way the Greeks and the Romans would do plays is there would be a couple of people on the stage, and they would have masks. And every time they put on a mask, they became a different character, a different persona. And so the Greeks and the Romans had that word, persona, in common. It was one of the very few words they could use in common tongue so both halves of the empire could understand a way to explain the Trinity. Now, they were not saying, they were not embracing an idea of modalism. This is where this guy sent me hate mail, that, oh, you're saying that it's modalism. First, he's got the Father, and then he's got the Son, and then he's got the Spirit, and that's heresy. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... First of all, they had to find a common word to bridge the divide between the Eastern Roman halves of the empire. And that word was person because they all got the idea of a man on a stage with three different masks, and those masks were the personas of the of the, this this one person that's how they came up with the idea of three persons to explain the trinity three masks now that doesn't mean modalism they went deeper than that it doesn't mean god was first in heaven and then he was on earth and the throne in heaven was empty and then he's the spirit floating around it's not what they meant but they needed at least a foundational word to get there we to this day quibble over language over are we a republic are we nowhere democracy no we're a republic it's just The Romans called their democratic system of government republic. The Greeks called their system democracy. They operated in slightly different ways, but they really meant the same. That's why I don't get bent out of shape when people say use democracy and republic interchangeably. Technically, we're a republic because we embraced the Roman republican ideal. But all the Roman republicans were doing was taking the Greek system that preceded them and implementing it themselves But my gosh, people like to argue over these sorts of things and and they can see no reason and no realm to compromise when language itself over time becomes a compromise. The problem here is that in our 21st century, the postmodern wokes have decided language creates reality. And so they're trying to grab hold of all of language and very rapidly twist the meaning of words. And that makes everybody sensitive about these sorts of things. It gets very annoying over time. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877. Well, you know what? It's too late in the day. I'm sorry. You, you just, you can't, you can't call me now. I do need to tell you this hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Um, You know, First Liberty, eh, they do loans and deals, $750,000 and up for small businesses. I used to say $500,000, but my gosh, uh, they just keep helping businesses. And uh, they're at 750000 and up. If you've got a business and you need to grow and banks are telling you no, reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. They can help you nationwide, firstlibertyga.com. Now, I got other stuff. I find this fascinating. Have you all heard about Tucker Carlson's uh, ratings demo? Uh, you know, I, li- I I like Tucker. I don't watch the show. He and I, we don't see eye to eye on a ton of stuff, but he's a good dude. Um, and people really hate him on the left. Some people on the right really hate him. I think he's fine. He he he's found his wheelhouse. He's doing well. You know what? Democrats Democrats watch Tucker Carlson more than they watch MSNBC, more than they watch CNN. Forty two percent of Democrats in the demo that's twenty five to fifty four year olds watch uh Fox, 33 watch CNN, 25 watch MSNBC. So uh, only 25% of self-described Democrats watch MSNBC, but MSNBC has ratings higher than CNN. There aren't enough conservatives hate watching MSNBC. That must be super far lefties who don't even consider the Democratic Party left enough for them who watch MSNBC. Uh The data shows that Tucker Carlson's 9 p.m. show is one of the top news shows among Democrats in the demo and has one of the most diverse audiences out there. This is from Nielsen, M-R-I Fusion. Fascinating stuff. Uh, Conservatives don't really tune in to CNN. Most of them go to Fox. They don't really go to Newsmax or the other programs. They're still sticking with Fox, even though Newsmax has shown some growth. But Tucker Carlson has a far more diverse viewership than CNN or MSNBC. I'm not surprised by that because whether you like Tucker Carlson or not, he's more likely to make you think about issues than his counterparts at the other networks who just want to yell at you and tell you what to believe. And if you want to see this on display, there's a story about Rudy Giuliani out. Now, I got to tell you. I want you to know something very important. If I were to ever appear on The Masked Singer or Dancing with the Stars, it would mean I failed at life and my career is over. Rudy Giuliani was on The Masked Singer. Apparently, when he took his uh, helmet off, his character's mask off, it was revealed that it was Rudy Giuliani and Ken Wong and Robin, um, what's his name? They stormed off the stage, Robin Thick. They were horrified that it was Rudy Giuliani. They were deeply offended that he was involved. This reminds me of all the research out there that uh, conservatives are way more tolerant of the left than the left is of conservatives. And here you go. With the Democrats, actually, some of them being willing to listen to Tucker Carlson, that gives me hope that maybe we can actually bridge this divide on partisanship out there. And hopefully we can't accept, man, the hardcore progressives who watch MSNBC, who the Democratic Party is too moderate for them. They got some serious problems out there. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. you got the economy. you got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building? You want to build a building? Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can